Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Support the podcast on Patreon by joining the It's All Cobblers to Me fan club. Every month, you'll receive access to exclusive bonus content, such as our Meet the Staff series, hear our player interviews before anyone else, and be invited to regular meetups. By joining the fan club, you'll be helping us to continue our sponsorship of NTFC women's player Abby Bruin and enable us to keep the podcast and all our other content going to the high standards you expect. To join the fan club, go to patreon.com forward slash cobblers to me. Hello Cobblers fans, welcome to another special edition of It's All Cobblers to Me. We're still away from our normal episodes this week, but it is New Year's Eve, so a big Happy New Year to you all. This week, um, we're taking you back to another interview that I performed, this time with a man who saved a penalty at Wembley, had a promotion with the Cobblers at Wembley, and then went on to have a career that was, well, it's seen him work with some of the biggest names in football. Alan Pardew, I do laugh a little bit at what I've just said when I've said that, but also now the goalkeeping coach for the Arsenal under-21s squad. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview from earlier this year or last year, depending on when you're listening to this, with Andy Woodman. Osman against Brad Jones to put Liverpool out of the cup and not that to three! Hello and welcome to the It's All Cobblers Hall of Fame. This month I'm talking to a goalkeeper who along with the Cobblers played for Exeter, Brentford, Colchester and Oxford United. He made a total of 160 appearances for the Cobblers including two at Wembley Stadium where he also saved a penalty. 
I am of course referring to Gareth Southgate's best mate and cobbler's legend, Andy Woodman. To start our chat, I asked Andy how he first got into football and found himself at Crystal Palace. Uh, so really what happened is I always thought I was an outfield player, uh, but my brother, uh, my older brother, Peter, he's always chucked me in goal. Uh, and then I, um, I found myself playing in the school team um, one game and there happened to be a scout at this particular match watching me um, who then put me forward to um, represent South London, which is like the borough uh, uh, team. And um, from there, really, I got spotted to uh, train at Crystal Palace, um, where I had uh, a few years. I, ironically, I went to Arsenal as well, and they wanted to sign me. Um, it was back in the day where it probably wasn't quite as strict as it is now. Um, but Crystal Palace was always my team. So uh, I, I, so all my family supported Crystal Palace and, and, and that seemed an obvious choice for me to sign for them. Um, and ironically, I find myself at Arsenal now. So kind of strange twist of fate. So in 1995 then, you obviously arrive at Sixfields having just been playing for Exeter um, the year before. Um, was it fair to say that you had a bit of a tough time down there at Exeter? Um, I think that it's a complete understatement. Um, you know, I really had a disaster for them. Um, you know, from start to finish, uh, you know, it just didn't didn't, uh, didn't didn't really happen for me. You know, um, I, I moved down there. It was my first time away from home. Um, a few years earlier, I'd lost my mother. You know, I just, I, I was just a, a sort of wrong part of my life, um, you know, to, and I'm not blaming that on, you know, all of that, but I just wasn't ready for it. Um, and I had this sort of perception that I would just go there, play well, move to a bigger club. I was so wrong. And, and I tell this all the young boys now, you know, you think you're going to go down to League One, League Two, and it's all going to be easy. You're so mistaken. So... It just—it was just one thing after another that went wrong. I got injured, got back in the team, got sent off, got sent off again, got back in the team after seven-game ban, and then and then just made another mistake and another mistake. And I just—I just really was close to calling it a day. And um, Ian Atkins sort of rung me up, and I thought it was a bit of a joke at first. Uh, said, "Look, I'd like to sign you, uh, but I can't do it to the end of the season." Um, but you know, I'd like you to come to Northampton. So I didn't think too much of it. Um, and I, I think I said the other night at the, at the function, I remember watching Teletext at the time, watching Northampton play Berry at home, uh, and they got beat 5 0. And I was dancing around the room because I knew he'd ring me <laughs> next morning and ask me to come, uh, which he did. Uh, and, and then the rest, really, from there is, is sort of history, really. Yeah, in that in that first season that you were at Sixfields, um, the team finished eleventh in Division Three as it was back then. Um, but the following year, that's really where everything kind of started changing, and we were Wembley bound and promotion bound as well. Um, what do you think changed that year that led us to being, you know, from eleventh position to to actually winning the playoffs at Wembley? Listen, I think we could all say many things, but I think the one man that must take a lot of the credit, if not all the credit, uh, was Ian Atkins. Um, he, he got a group, a group of players together. Uh, we was all sort of wasting strays from everywhere. 
Um, we had no egos. Uh, we had all different personalities, all different accents. But we had one sort of common goal, really, uh, and that was to try and win football matches and try. We had this camaraderie in the dressing room uh, that, that I, I've never I've never matched it anywhere else. Uh, you know, I've always been in good dressing rooms, but this this place was just unique. Uh, and I think it was a lot of those characters he brought together with a winning mentality. Uh, and listen, this man was a hard manager, you know, real tough, tough manager. When things were good, he was great. When things were bad, he was so tough on us. Um, and he drilled us. He drilled us all so well. You know, he, he, we all knew our jobs. We all knew there was no grey area of anything we had to do. So uh, I think really he should take all the credit uh, for, for our achievement at, uh, at Northampton and probably all, of, all the credit for all of our careers. A lot of people at the minute, they'll talk about managers and, and how different players have to be treated differently. You know, the whole thing with Mourinho at the moment, maybe the way he's handling some of his players at United isn't isn't the right way, apparently, according to people in the media. What what sort of manager was Ian Atkins like? Was he the kind of manager that would, you know, was a good man manager, would put his arm around certain players? Or was <laughs> was it a case of more that he'd just, he'd just shout and everyone would listen? Do, do you know, he didn't... He, he... He wasn't a shouter, unless his head really went and then he'd really blow up. And he wasn't, he definitely wasn't an arm around the shoulder. You know, it wasn't that. I think he just made it clear of what your job was. And he made you all crystal clear that, I mean, I played Northampton 200 games, I think, just under. And uh, there wasn't one game that I always thought I'd be first pick and in the team. So he kept us all a little bit. You know, there was a lot of games I thought, yeah, I'm going to be selected. You know, but there was a sort of an element of me always thinking he could leave me out. And and so we all, and, and I think he done it of all the players. So he was always right on the edge of like not wanting to have a bad game. And, and, and of course we did have bad games, but we always knew we couldn't have like two bad games or three bad games on the trot because we would be out of the team. And I think that was how he managed us. Um, and, and, and was we the best players? No. Was we was we the most hard-working team? You could argue we was. And, and, and did we all know our jobs? You know, he told me not to not to come for crosses and not to throw it out. You know, in, in, in not as bluntly as that, but pretty much said, let the centre-ass do their job and don't be thrown out from the back. Let's get up to the front man and play off the front man. So I, I knew my role in the team, uh, you know, and, and, and everyone knew their role. Uh, and that was what he was really great at, I thought, and, 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 and you know, set pieces. I don't think there was anyone better than us at the time for scoring goals from set pieces. I really don't. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably agree with that. The amount of times that, even now, kind of, I look back to, you know, whenever we got a corner, just the sight of Ray Warburton and Ian Sampson at the edge of the penalty area, all about to run in. You you kind of felt like you knew it was just going to happen every time. And John Gale pinning the goalkeeper. You know, yeah. you had this man mountain of men. Um, so you always felt completely, you know, completely... Like you, like you say, he was going to get a goal. When, when a corner come, I always thought to myself, yes, we're going to get one here. And, and listen, Razor and Samo, they, I mean, some of the goals they scored, there was no one better for timing the header than Reza. Uh, in all my footballing career, I'd say, you know, he's, he's been, he was a sensational. So, uh, yeah, we had, that, and we had that desire to never give up, you know, and always keep going. Um, and we had some great times on the back of that. You know, we all worked for each other. 
So one of the, one of the questions that uh, I, I wanted to talk about was, or one of the games I wanted to talk about, um, was that second leg at home to Bristol Rovers the following year. Um, it must have been some party afterwards. It was amazing. Um, yeah, the whole game was crazy. Uh, the, the actual it, it, the actual pre- preparation for us winning that game started as we walked off the pitch at Bristol Rovers. I'm sure you've heard it a million times. The the guy on the end, the tannoy singing Wembley. Us walking down the tunnels, the opposition players saying, "You got any spare tickets for Wembley, you boys?" and all that, you know, sort of goadless because they thought they'd won it. And that particular game at Bristol Rovers, they should have won it by six or seven goals. We were so bad that day. And we managed to get a goal from John Gow. Um, so when we got in the dressing room and shut the dressing room and we heard them in their dressing room, and I'm sure there's loads of teams that have done this in the past, but it really kind of, we sat there and again, Ian Atkins made us kind of almost, in a clever, silent sort of way, listen to their celebrations. Uh and, um, and we kind of got together on the bus and, you know, this game's not over. We started believing from that moment and we started sort of saying, let's make sure that what they just did to us in that tunnel and that man on the tunnel, that we really sort of spin this around. Now, I'm sure this happened loads of times over the years and, you know, the result ends up being the result. But that kind of inspired us as a team, that moment. And then... We get to six films. The place was, you know, electric that night. Absolutely electric. Uh, and I generally believe everyone turned up expecting us. We were just going to win, um, us included. So I think all of the atmosphere going into the game, you know, we, we knew there was nothing else we could do. Uh, John Gow in the tunnel intimidating one of their players, um, which sounds bizarre. Now I'm a grown man, you know, but he was literally uh, bouncing a ball off the opposition centre-half's head who wouldn't look at him, um, and, I'm, and I'm not even exaggerating this, and uh, I remember John Gow saying, what are you going to do about this then? Nothing. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, smash you up all on the pitch, you know, like all intimidating. And I remember thinking to myself, this is crazy. And, and then we went out there and Carl Heggs was brilliant that night. Um, and we got the result. You know, it was just, just an amazing, an amazing night. Warburton and Samson, the two on the edge of the penalty area. Warburton arriving, and he's got it. Ray Warburton, the Northampton skipper, with his first goal of the season, could well have scored the goal, which takes his side through to Wembley. Obviously, you you appeared at Wembley twice for the Cobblers, um, in and in consecutive years, obviously in '97 and '98. You obviously got to experience the highs of winning and then the lows of the defeat. Um, but what were those games like for you? In a bizarre way. To have the loss after the after you've won there gives you a complete contrast of what a different stadium that place is. Um, one that I wish I'd never been able to experience, I have to say. But the first year we won, uh, it was amazing. You know, the, the feeling, the, the the feeling for your family, the relief for your family, the relief for your season. How hard we'd worked and how hard we'd kept going. Um, so that was fantastic and a day never to be forgot. The following year, uh, to lose, and if I'm to be really honest, to never really look like you was going to win, and come off the pitch and almost feel like um, you'd kind of given yourself a disservice on that particular day as a team. Not not as individuals, but as a team. We kind of you know, hadn't hit the heights 
that we should have, we felt could have helped, had on that day. It was horrendous. Uh, walking, you know, <laughs> we, I think, I think of a memory, Samo just walked straight off the pitch after, didn't even, you know, stay on the pitch. I can't really remember too much about the pitch or being on the pitch. I was devastated. Uh, and then, and then I think, I think that was sort of like the start where you you sort of see the the following year effects coming into play, and you know you're not quite the same team, and everyone's mind slightly somewhere else, or still on the year before, and and you see it many times when teams get to play off the following season, they're not quite the same, and you can almost see that in in, in us, and and looking back, my even myself, you know, I was kind of thinking, was that by a big chance to get a move, or playing a bigger league gone. And, and I'm sure we all kind of had different mindsets when we come back. And that, and that was really a shame for me personally and, and for, for everyone involved at the club that we didn't kind of get up that year. Well, Kevin Donovan has scored from open play. Can he now score from the spot to finally kill off Northampton? It's saved by Woodman. Andy Woodman has turned it away. And Northampton still have hope here. Alan Buckley cannot believe it. Woodman has denied the penalty. Well, maybe justice is done. I don't know. Great stop. Fantastic. Donovan, surely that has sealed it. Woodman to the rescue. Chooses right, full stretch, and palms it away. I, I think the one thing that I kind of always sort of look back on, if you like, is that, uh, and, I, and I think it, my dad used to say this, only up until a couple of years ago, really, which was that obviously that day, Grimsby win, they get promoted to Division One, but then what? Five years later, they were out of the football league altogether. Whereas, yes, we we'd gone, you know, stayed down, and then obviously the following year we get relegated again back to the Division Three, the basement. But at least we were still in the football league. And my dad used to say to me, "Well, you say if we if we'd won that day, that that might have been us, and we wouldn't even be a league club anymore. At least we've got that to be thankful for." But yeah. I suppose for yourself as a player, like you, like you say, you, you could have got a big move on the back of that. You know, you, you saved a penalty that day. One of the, uh, you know, the, the few people to save a penalty in a final at Wembley. Yeah, I think for me personally, I was always, um, I always wanted to play at the highest level I could. And I was, at that particular time, I know I'd been linked to a few clubs um, and it wasn't really my desire to move from Northampton because I was so happy there. Um, so I think in in my sort of sort of memory, I was kind of almost wishing we'd go up, and then we'd be a big, uh, you know, a big club in my mind, and a big, you know, we'd be a, you know championship club as it would be then, and it'd be a real crack at the sort of like the big time, uh, you know, one blow to Premiership. Who knows what could happen after that? You know, where it happens. And I think because we didn't make it that year, kind of there was a, a flatness with all of us. Uh, and then, and then you know, from a strictly selfish point of view, I was really like, you know, am I ever going to play in a higher league? You know, am I ever going to? I wanted to do it at Northampton. And then you start looking at other people that have gone up and other players, and you kind of get distracted. And I, I, I'd be first to admit that following season, I was nowhere near. Uh, where I should have been mentally as a goalkeeper. Uh, I, I was carrying an injury from that final as well. Uh, I tore my, my shoulder, rotator cuff, uh, in the actual game when the guy scored the goal. I almost popped my shoulder out of socket. And, and I, unbeknown to me at the time, because the adrenaline's pumping, I thought, oh, that'd be okay over the summer. I didn't think nothing of it. And then I started back the following season and I had 
major problems with his shoulder um, to the point where I had to have, you know, scans and, and it showed up three tears from that game. So so that coincided with the disappointment. I was not the same keeper, you know, that following season. And and I, and I put the two together, you know, I'd, had, I'd got the injury that I was trying to mask uh, that I hadn't got sorted out properly, which I should have had an operation on it. And I just was carrying over, like, the disappointment of playing at a higher level, playing at a higher level with the club I loved and the people I love. New faces now coming in. It kind of, the pack was getting shuffled a little bit. I think Razor went to Rushton. It, it, there was a lot of new changes, you know. Uh, I think Ian Atkins was being talked about going to Norwich at that point as manager. And there was a lot of uncertainty around the place. And and that was my first time uh, being at that club that I'd seen all this uncertainty around me. And I, and I, I, I have to be honest, now I'm a lot older and mature. It definitely affected me, definitely. I mean, one of the things that I remember with that season, so so the year that we actually go down, um, the year that you leave us, actually, um, is that we had a fairly poor start to the season. You've kind of already explained how that possibly could have come about. But we had a, a really decent League Cup run where we looked, you know, brilliant. I, I'm the, the night that we played West Ham at home and won 2-0, that was a fairly comfortable 2-0 win. I mean, was it... Is playing in the League Cup or, or, or the other Cup com, Cup competitions just a real breather from, from league football and, and you know, the, the worry about getting points on the board or does that not really exist? Again, looking at it through older eyes and wiser eyes, or is it uh, a showcase to show everyone that you can play at a high level? Maybe that was why I was so up for those games you know, I played particularly well in both of those games and and the Tottenham game. Say the Ginola's penalty in the Tottenham game. I got man of the match against West Ham at West Ham. So looking back, was I just a bit single-minded there, thinking, oh, this is my now my chance to get a move to the big clubs. And, you know, because we... And it, it's no slur in Northampton. I must make that clear, because I love that place. But we all have aspirations to play at the highest we can. And maybe... You know, maybe that isn't the reason why players play so well in those cup competitions because you feel like you're on show a little bit, you know, to, to show everyone what you're what you're about. Um, whereas when you're playing at Plymouth away or or or, or Bury away, you know there's not going to quite be the people there to watch it and the, and the sort of kudos around the game. Um, you know, so 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 maybe it's a mixture of all of that. Um, but those cup games were great. You know, I, I enjoyed those. Um, there's so many different variations of why the season went wrong. But I just think we had a lot of things happening after that season and, and I just think we had a bad start. And we never really had that team spirit. You know, new players were coming in, old favourites were going out. There was a bit of uncertainty around the place and I just felt that that happens at football clubs, uh, not just at Northampton, but that happens at clubs as a three-year period where things change and sometimes they change for the worst. Yeah, of course. I mean, you you see it all the time. We've seen it, you know, time and time again since. You know, the, the last two times that we've been promoted to, to League One from League Two, Calderwood and Chris Wilder, both of those teams basically got not ripped apart as such, but they changed because we lost the manager each time as well. So, we're, it, you know, it still happens today. There's always a transition period that, that happens, isn't there? Um, 
by the time that January came around, um, you were out out of the team then, and, and Billy Turley had, had basically taken the number one shirt, and it wasn't long before you signed for Brentford. Um, was there was that because you you kind of went my time's up here now and and it's time to go and play for a bigger club could you maybe see the fact that we were maybe going in the wrong direction and you wanted to stay you know get paid as much as you could obviously and also stay and play at the highest level that you could as well yeah i thinking thinking back uh, again i'm sort of going back 20 years I remember being left out of the team uh, for a game um, which I thought was a bit unfair, and it was a—I think it was a cup game or something—and uh, I was—I was always a bit of a fiery character, you know. I, I kind of understand that now. I know. Let me tell you—I've told my son many times, "Don't be like I was." And I got left out for a game, and rather than stay and watch the game, I kind of just got in my car, and went home, uh, which was completely the wrong thing to do. Completely the wrong thing to do. You know, when I came in on a Monday, uh, the manager, rightly so, Ian Atkins, pulled me in his office, you're out of order, you know, and completely. Rather than me saying, look, I'm sorry, I kind of blew up the other way as well. Hey, well, I can't believe left me out, usual sort of row uh, with the manager. But it continued uh, the row. You know, this was a guy that I, I loved, and, and I'm, to this day I still love the man. And uh, we had a fallout, uh, you know, in, in that respect. You know, it was just... I looked at it as a fallout. He would have looked at it as, as exactly what it was, really. He was just dropping a goalkeeper that wasn't playing as well as he did the season before and putting in someone that he felt uh, was better than him at the time. But at that particular time of my life, I took it a little bit personally, uh, which which really wasn't the right thing to do. Um, and looking back, it completely wasn't personal because it's football. Uh, so I was a little bit immature you know, and this is me being brutally honest. And I'd got a little bit of a nudge from Ron Modes, who was my old chairman at Palace, who was now the manager at Brentford. He rung, he rung me up and said, look, uh, you're not in the team. Would you want to come to Brentford? Uh, and I said, um, well, yeah, of course I'd come to Brentford. I'm not playing. I said, you know, when will it happen? He said, look, just sit on your, sit on your hands. Don't try to get back in the team. That's exactly his words, God rest his soul. He said, and I will come and sign you in January. Well, I thought, Listen, I've heard this a million times. This is not going to happen. And actually, it did happen. Uh, he come back and signed me. There was a little bit of a grey area. I think some of the board wanted to keep me. Um, some didn't. I was owed some payments, which I, I was reminded of the other night by one of the old uh, directors, uh, which we like. And he actually told me the figure it was four thousand pounds, which is pathetic in the scheme of things. So we had a bit of a hoo ha. And anyway, I ended up going to Brentford, um, and. And again, I walked into a club where it was different and and I didn't have my centre-halves in front of me that I played with and it was a different feel. And it, Listen, we won the league that year. We went up as champions, but I was never quite the goalkeeper. I was at Northampton and, and, and I always felt like that. My best time was at Northampton. My best playing time was at Northampton. And do you know what? It was no coincidence. I had the best two centre-halves in front of me. At Northampton, in my opinion. So, you know, I, 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 I'm not too uh, immature or blasé to think that I was the best ever, but I think I just hit the right time at the right place with the right players and the right manager at Northampton. So uh, it was a shame how it finished. Brain again, and he's got it! What a marvellous goal! 
from John Frame. Ian Atkins off the bench. The Northampton supporters ecstatic. What was your best memory then of, of being at Northampton then, Woody? My best memory, uh, I'd be hard-pushed to say the Wembley win was my best memory. I would really be hard to say, although I do think that what we achieved down at Cardiff, getting a 1-0 down there, kind of went under the radar because that was an unbelievable result we, we got down there. Uh, you know, to get that, to go down there, keep a clean sheet and get a 1-0 and have a player sent off, I think we had as well. I mean, Mark Hooper got sent off in that game, we were all right. Um, that, that went under the radar, but that was one hell of a performance down there. Most of our listeners are going to know that you're, you're friends with Gareth Southgate, the England manager. <laughs> the question that I've actually got for you, we've, we've got a couple of listener questions as well in a moment, but uh, the thing that I want to know is that you've obviously coached as a goalkeeper coach at the highest level uh, in the Premier League. Yeah. Why didn't he employ you as England's goalkeeper coach? What, what's the deal there? He's your best mate. Hey, perhaps you should ring him with that and ask him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be fair, it doesn't always work like that. Our friendship's been based on our friendship. Um and to be fair, when I was with Alan Pardew, uh, me and Alan have been friends for many years also. I've always been with Alan Pardew wherever I've gone. So when Gareth got the England job, I was at Crystal Palace with Alan Pardew, I think it was at the time. So for me to just, listen, I wasn't asked, let me make that very clear, but I don't think it would have been right for Gareth to suddenly get rid of all his staff and say, I want to bring in my mates. And, and it wasn't something I expected him to do either. Um, don't get me wrong, we had many conversations in the car about goalkeepers and chatting and just just general conversations as well. Um, but it's something that I've never really expected, uh, wanted or, or really thought about really. Uh, I have been asked it many times, so I haven't got the answer to that. Um, on the flip side of that, my son's in England set up. He's been in there since he's 15. So he's, he's gone through all the age groups to the under-21s where he's playing at the moment. So you could even argue that even if I would have been lucky enough to be offered the job and I wasn't, and I, you know, would it have been the right thing for me to take with my son being involved in England? I think it would have come with a lot of, well, you're only in it because your dad and all those sort of things around him. So, uh, again, that's, that's, that would have been another hurdle for me to get over. But, yeah, no, never been asked to coach for England and... Um, uh, you know, and, and there's a listen. Let me make this really clear. There's a fantastic coach there at the moment, uh, Martin Marguson, fantastic coach and a good friend of mine. Uh, he was actually the guy that replaced me when I got sacked from Palace, so he's got that job <laughs> off me. Then he got the job for England, and I said to him, when he rang me up. He's not going to move in my house as well. <laughs> um, but now they've got a great England goalie coach there at the moment, and, and they've got a great young crop of goalkeepers in the team and coming through, which is good. And Pedro then bring Venezuela level. In the final. Oh, it's saved by Woodman! So just let us know then what you're doing now at the moment then, because obviously uh, you're not uh, actually a, a goalkeeper coach for a, a club alongside Alan Pardew as a manager at the moment, are you? Yes, yeah, so at the moment. Um, so I had a, a spell, well, many years of Alan at Newcastle, Crystal Palace, and then um, I got asked to go to West Brom. But at that particular time, I was at Arsenal. Uh, I've been uh, offered a role at Arsenal to be head of goalkeeping. Um, 
to coach the goalkeepers on the grass uh, from 23s and then oversee all the goalkeepers all the way down. So make sure we've got the right keepers coming in the building, go and scout some keepers if, if the time's there. Uh, to really have an overview of it and make sure the coaches are doing the right sort of stuff with these young keepers. Um, from a personal point of view, you know, I know how the parents are feeling because I've got some that's going through the process. I know how the young goalies are feeling at times, whether it's high or low, because again, I've got some that's going through the process. And I know exactly how they feel when they make a mistake or they make a top class save. Because once upon a time, I used to make the odd save and <laughs> Once upon a time, I used to make the odd mistake. So I kind of feel that for all these certificates we have to go through and all these coaching badges, I don't think there's anybody better to sort of, you know, liaise with these young, budding professionals uh, and, and sort of guide them a little bit as well as coach them. Of, Look, I've done that. I've had rounds of managers. I've, you know, thrown my toys out of prayer when I've not been in the team. And to try and guide them away from all the things that I had you know, done wrong and hopefully implement all the things that I've done well but probably didn't do enough of. Uh, and, and again, if you listen to any interviews my son does, uh, he's done many interviews over the years, he kind of always goes back to, like, you know, my dad's told me all the things not to do and the things to do and, and he's quite true. You know, I've just passed on my experience of this business to him. So we've got some uh, questions in from some of our listeners as well, Andy. There's only a few of them and they should be fairly quick fire as well. Um, Jeremy Casey uh, wants to know who the better centre-back was, Samo or Razor? <laughs> Do you know what? You ain't going to believe it, but we had this conversation in the car because before the, before the other night, I picked up Samo and we went out a quick beer with Razor. So there's three of us. So I got them both in the car and I said, Razor, you was a top centre half. Samo jumped straight down my throat. Telling me, telling me all the things Razor couldn't do, but he could do. So Samo was more cultured with the ball at his feet. Razor was just a lump it in the corner merchant. Yeah, but Samo, you couldn't win any of the corners and all that. Yeah, but Razor, you know, they both had great attributes. Um, I'd have to say that. If I was to really put my head on the block, and, and, and I'm not going to be popular with one of them here, and then I think... Ray Wilburton was a, a, a leader and a, everyone had a lot of respect for Raza on the pitch and off it. Not that they didn't for Samo, but Raza was top, top draw and Samo was they were very, very close behind, very close. There, there, there was nothing between them except Raza was the captain, I'm going to say, and he just had that little bit, tiny little bit. Samo's going to be straight on the phone to me. David says, uh, please ask Woody if he is happy with your son Freddie's progression and whether Gareth Southgate has spoken to him about possible international honours for him. Uh, I'm presuming he means their uh, senior honours. Yeah. Am I happy with my son's progression? Uh, I was very happy with my son's progression. Uh, in fact, I was extremely happy with my son's progression. Uh, the achievements he's made, uh, the strides he's made have been fantastic. You know, I couldn't be happier. Am I a little bit disappointed he hasn't gone out on loan this year? Uh, yep, very disappointed. But that's the business of Newcastle United Football Club. That's how they, you know, they they obviously have their own plan for him. Um so I can't really comment on, on what their plan is for him. Um, is he going to be a top keeper even more than he is? 100%. You know, he's got all the attributes. 
you know, that I probably didn't have uh, off the pitch and on it. So I'm, I'm very happy with that. Um, I, yeah, I know Gareth speaks to Freddie when he sees him at, uh, at St George's Park. Um, but that said, he doesn't just single out Freddie. I know Gareth speaks to all the players there. So, um, and I think that's, you know, testament to Gareth Southgate as a, as, a, as a human being and as a manager. He's never been any different. He will give everybody time. So I, I know that he'll, you know, along with, you know, I must make this really clear, along with probably any other goalkeeper or any other player at that St George's Park, right from under-16s to under-21s to the first team, I know Gareth would always speak to them and, and give them, you know, uh, words of wisdom and, and encouragement because uh, that's just Gareth Southgate. So, yeah, you know, there's no favouritism in any way, shape or form. Uh, but I do know that he would definitely have spoken to him and many other players. Yeah, no, no suggestion there at all that he'd be singling out his godson or anything like that. Don't you worry about that at all, Andy. Yeah, well, listen, I'm a bit, dis- I'm a bit disappointed he didn't play against USA last night, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been a perfect opportunity, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, listen, we, we've got a bet going. We'd have cashed in there. <laughs> that is a joke, by the way. Let me make that clear. <laughs> so Rod Clare um, has asked, if you remember him and Tracy, who got married at Sixfields, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. he said that they're, they're still together and Tracy still loves you more, apparently. Well, I'm a bit disappointed they've stayed together this long because I've been hanging about for Tracy ever since. Because <laughs> I thought it would never last. Um but listen, tell Tracy, I've lost a bit of hair now and put a bit of weight on, so I'm not probably sure. If I, I think she's probably better off staying with Rob. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and congratulations to them, because that must be 20-odd years. 20 years, I don't know. 19 years. Yeah, it must be. Well, it'll be around about the 20-year mark, won't it, now, I would imagine. Fantastic. That's brilliant, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, well, congratulations to them and testament to them. Yeiston Pocock would like to know how you supported your friend Gareth Southgate during the World Cup. Was there anything that you did um, in particular on the phone to him every day, offering him words of advice of what to do for the next game, anything like that? Well, it's funny. Uh, I, I don't know. I didn't do one interview uh, during the World Cup. Uh, I didn't speak to one newspaper during the World Cup leading up to after nothing. Uh, you're probably the first person I spoke to uh, since then. And, and simply because there was nothing I was going to say to the newspapers, to the TV, to the press, uh, that wasn't something that we already know. This guy's a top man. He's going to be a top manager and he, he's doing a great job. So, I, And I didn't need to do that. We were friends. But, yeah, I spoke to him throughout the tournament. Uh, it, do you know what? I actually just spoke to him like a friend, really, because when you're cocooned on a, on a, on a tournament like that, you get sick of talking about football. You, I know it sounds bizarre, but you generally do. So uh, sometimes we just catch up. Uh, it might be on WhatsApp or text, you know, and just a general, general, you know, five minute chat on that, just to, to see how things are. Try to keep it all real for him. Um, but it was a fantastic achievement for him, for the country, uh, for everyone involved. I was, you know, I couldn't have been proud. going to be a penalty shootout to find out who the final quarter-finalists at the 2018 World Cup will be. England's fourth World Cup shootout. Nobody needs reminding what happened in the previous three. England are out of the World Cup. Falcao versus Pickford, Colombia versus England, and Falcao hammers it home. It's over to England, Harry Kane. That is outstanding from Kane. 
taking one. When your country's hopes are staying in the World Cup are on the line. Henderson puffs out his cheeks. Henderson strides up and it's saved by Osmina. Advantage Colombia. back on your career Andy and just sort of sort of look and look at Gareth's career and go that could have been me um is there any kind of not not resentment towards Gareth obviously but you know sort of regret for your for your own professional football career in that respect you've seen your best mate play for England and now manage him yeah um no I don't I don't so much do that uh there isn't there is times you always look back on your career and think I could have done better there or could have maybe done a bit better there or done more of that or this, that. But you have to sort of go back to when you was that age. And and, and listen, I'll, I'll never use this as an excuse because, uh, you know, where I was brought up was, you know, not the ideal place. I was brought up as a kid. My background was a nice family, but my mum died when I was young. So I had a lot of things going on in my life. Now, uh, I said this to my son, he said, Dad, you shouldn't have that as an excuse. Uh, but unless you've lived it, uh, it's very difficult to, when you're actually living all these things at the time, it's very difficult uh, to sort of focus on what's happening or, or what you should be doing. Um, so, so you know, the flip side of that, I look at it and I have quite a lot of pride of really what I did achieve with quite of a lot of adversity uh, along the route. And, and, I, and I'd like to think that a lot of players that played at the lower levels, like myself, uh, you know, they, they look at their quiz with, with a lot of pride because we could always do a little bit more. Um, you know, and it, it, there's always different scenarios you'd like to change, but you can't and you have to live in the moment. And the things I chose to do at the moment, at the time of my life, were the things I thought were the right things to do. So I try not to look back. I look, I look back with fond, fond memories. Uh, uh, nothing more fun than my time at Northampton. So uh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, 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 I don't look at Gareth any resentment at all. Very, very proud of my friend, um, and uh, you know, no one, no one, I generally mean this deserves it more than him. So D- Danny wants to know whether you remember the celebrations in '97 on the bus parade, and and whether you can recount anything that you might have been saying to the fans from on high. Well, I, I remember nearly falling off the bus on the top deck. Uh, we, we, me and Dave Martin, um, he nearly went and I nearly went over the top. So I remember that really clearly, uh, thinking, oh, Brian, I need to slow up here. Uh, and then I remember 
trying to get some fans on the bus. Um, it all got a bit crazy. But but the one thing that I, I struggled to, to get my head around is we actually had a journey from Sixfields to the town on this open-top bus. And then years later, when we watched that Mike Bassett film, um, and uh, the Mike Bassett's going up the dual carriageway with the team on the bus and all the wind's blowing. It was very much like that. And then we pulled into the town, and all of a sudden there was like, I would have said about 100,000 people. I don't know if I'm exaggerating, but it, the town was, you could not move. Uh, and I find that still to this day very surreal and very kind of almost unbelievable that all those people turned out for us on that day. And it was, that was, uh, as, a, as a personal moment, that was a, 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 one of the greatest days ever that, that, that I really enjoyed that. So the, la- the last question that we've got from our listeners then, Andy, is uh, to ask whether you still love Hawaii Five O <laughs> as is stated in the Wembley 97 song by Warehouse. Let me tell you, to this day, I never, ever lived that song down. Uh, I, 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 do you know what? I think I might even have a hair transplant in the summer just to have one more song, <laughs> one more rendition of it. <laughs> it used to be a great bit of banter with the people up in the top corner uh, of, of the main stand. You still always start it off. Um, yeah, never forget that song. Uh, and, and like I say, I, I had a fantastic rapport with the fans there. Uh, I'm sure I wasn't everyone's cup of tea as a goalkeeper, but I always think I used to play with a smile on my face and, and always try my best for, for those people that paid to watch. Uh, so, yeah, I, I definitely remember that time. That's brilliant. The very last thing, we're asking every single person that we interview um, on It's All Cobblers to me, just to give your Cobblers five-a-side team, so these are players that you played with at Northampton, um, just your favourite five-a-side team. You can go in goal unless you want to put somebody else in there the, in, instead. Yeah, I put myself. Oh, I wasn't great at five-a-side, though, was I? I put, myself, I put myself in goal. I definitely wouldn't put Razor in a five-a-side team. No chance. But then I'm... Maybe I'm doing it with this service. Uh, I'd probably have to have Sam and Raz with my centre-halves. Um, I would have to have Ali Gibb on one wing. And I would probably have, I think I'd have to have Roy Hunter in there. And up front, I would probably have to have Big John Gow. No question there, I don't think. That was always going to be the case, wasn't it? <laughs> so... As you could probably tell by my team, it was surrounded by giants. (laughs) (laughs) Just in case they decided to put a cross in the box. That's brilliant, Andy. Thank you very much for that. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Anytime. Support the podcast on Patreon by joining the It's All Cobblers To Me fan club. Every month, you'll receive access to exclusive bonus content such as our Meet the Staff series, hear our player interviews before anyone else, and be invited to regular meetups. By joining the fan club, you'll be helping us to continue our sponsorship of NTFC women's player Abby Bruin and enable us to keep the podcast and all our other content going to the high standards you expect. To join the fan club, go to patreon.com forward slash cobblers to me.